Welcome to the Returning Citizen. Quick reminder that anytime we mention a program or resource, it's linked under this episode on thereturningcitizen.org, where you can also listen and subscribe. We feel it's important for our listeners to know that the U.S. has the highest rate of incarceration of any country on Earth. Most of these folks return home as our neighbors, with 10,000 ex-prisoners released from state and federal prison every week. Needless to say, everybody wins when we help these returning citizens be successful. I'm Jacob Smith, a Detroit-based entrepreneur and community organizer. I am Ryan Nico, a St. Louis native and voice artist who has fallen in love with Detroit. I am Eric Burgess. I spent 18 years on a nonviolent offense throughout the life of law in the state of Michigan. I'm using Return Citizen podcast to assist individuals into their transition. And today we're talking about voting rights for returning citizens. So when we think about criminal justice reform, voting is an essential piece of the puzzle. But for folks who have spent time in prison, it's complicated. Your voting rights are often stripped while incarcerated, and in certain situations, this disenfranchisement can be permanent. So today, we'll be exploring this issue in detail to make sure returning citizens and criminal justice allies know their rights leading into this upcoming election season and beyond. We're joined by two very special guests. We've got Rod Motz, the Campaign Outreach Coordinator for the ACLU of Michigan, as well as John L. Allen Bay, the Flint Chapter Co-Coordinator for Nation Outside. And just want to mention quickly that John L. Uh, spent 29 years in Michigan prison and was released just 30 months ago. So we really, really appreciate you being here and sharing your perspective, John L. It's and, an honor. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for having me as well. Yeah, Great. Thank you. And so to kick things off, uh, I'd love to just hear from each of you, um, hoping you could tell us a bit about your respective organizations that you're representing and how you connect specifically to voting rights. Well, the ACLU of Michigan um, has three major areas of focus, immigrants' rights, reducing mass incarceration, and protecting the rights of voters. We've really been increasing our capacity to do so. Uh, given the importance of Michigan in the, ele- in the electoral process. And we really got um, our campaign to protect voting rights underway in earnest um, when we began to participate with other advocacy organizations in the campaign to pass Proposal 3 in 2018 to make it easier for people to access the ballot. That was something that we worked really hard on Um, And as a result, it is now easier to vote here in Michigan, including uh, no reason absentee voting and voting, um, I'm sorry, registering to vote up until election day, and a number of other things that uh, really help address some of the disenfranchisement that has been going on uh, here in Michigan and in other states across the country. How about you, Janelle? Well, um, Nation Outside is an organization that's very unique because of the fact that we have returning citizens who are board members and run the entire chapter. We're unique because of the fact that the Flint chapter, we registered over 1,800 people to vote in the last two years. And we're very involved in civic engagement. We uh, try to stress policies and procedures and the importance of really understanding from a local and state perspective of what we need to do to make the necessary changes in our state. So that's very uh, dear to me. Um, I came home 30 months ago and 
I got involved uh, right away because I, I, I saw a need. And uh, one of the needs were we just didn't know in our community returning citizens, there's 70 million of us in this country. And we just didn't know. It's a lot of information we didn't know. Um, a lot of uh, people didn't know that they could, their rights were restored as soon as they got home and they could vote. And, and so it's just information like that. And there was so much out there that people believe those myths that you, you can't vote, you know, because the fact that you got a felony. And my town is a very unique town. Uh, 47,000 residents out of the 97,000 have felony. So uh, like Detroit, as you know, it's half the population to have felonies. And so it was very important for us to be able to tap in into that community, tap into and, and really get them understanding that um, you have power. And the power is your voting power. Now, our organization likes to say that we're the voice for the voiceless. And it's because it's so many, often when you have that stigma, you just don't know what's going on. You're just trying to fit, you know, and, and be as quiet as possible and try to just get on with your life. And um, we change that. We, we want people active. We want their voices heard. And so I, I'm very honored to be here today. And uh, as a returning citizen myself. Yeah, and we're really excited to have you. So before we go any farther, uh, just for the context, we've kind of been alluding to it and jumping around, but it's my understanding that in Michigan, you are not able to vote while you're incarcerated. And then as soon as you're released, you are now fully restored in terms of your voting rights. You are fully eligible to vote. Am I understanding that correctly? That's correct. That's correct. That you are correct. eligible to vote as long as you're not um, serving a sentence for which you've been convicted. So people who are sitting in jail, pre-trial, um, for example, are still eligible to vote. And as long as you touch on that, how, how does that work? So if somebody's sitting in jail pre-trial, they, they're just eligible for a absentee ballot or how, do, how does that work? They are um, eligible to complete an absentee ballot um, or, you know, once they are released, um, they're able to, um, you know, they still be able to go to the polling vote or they are um, able to um, go to their clerk's office and submit an absentee ballot that way as well. We're working on something now to be able to open up a precinct in the county jails. Um, today I was just uh, talking with uh, some people from ACLU and we're talking about satellite mm -hmm. and being able for the November to allow people who are in, incarcerated who haven't been sentenced. Uh, I know about Genesee County, there are over 550 people who have been disfranchised, who are eligible to vote, who we registered to vote, but wasn't given the opportunity to vote. And so uh, we've been swiftly uh, working with uh, different organizations where we've actually uh, sued the city of Flint <laughs> uh, concerning that issue there. How significant? Uh, the last mayor's race was won by 200 votes. So the 550 could have swung either way. I'm not saying that one would have won, but I'm just saying that they were disfranchised. And that can no longer happen again. So we're going to make sure that we put everything in place to make sure that never happens again. Yeah, and taking a step back and just like thinking about the scope here, how, how many people are we talking about? So Janelle, you alluded to, I think you said 47,000 just in Flint, if I'm not mistaken. So those are people many, with felonies. 
um, people with felonies. And sorry, how, how many right. fe- how many people with felonies uh, are there in Michigan? Um, and how many I people roughly are, are pre-trial uh, in jail? Just out of curiosity, if you guys know. I heard a number the other day that said something around 60,000. That's pretty I don't. I, yeah, I don't have that. That's throughout the entire state. I just know that there's 550 in Genesee County. So, and, and that's just one of the, the counties here. Uh, we know Wayne and we know Oakland County are huge counties. And so they have bigger numbers. Yeah, and pre-COVID, I recall a number of somewhere between sixty and sixty-eight thousand. Okay, so uh, right in, in jail. Yeah, on any given day pre-trial. Right. Uh, since COVID nineteen, obviously, a lot of um, sheriffs have worked to reduce their uh, pre-trial incarceration numbers. Do, do we know how many people that have felonies in Michigan? Out of curiosity. Uh, that I am less sure of. We know for a fact that. Wayne, Detroit, and Flint, 50% of their population have felonies. We know that for a fact. Right. Now, and I wouldn't be surprised if that were to be the case in most urban areas yeah. um, across the state. And Detroit has what? 800,000 people, right? So, uh, yeah. About, yeah. Whatever. I mean, it's, it's a lot of people. So, I, I think just the, the takeaway for me there is, you know, in addition to just out of uh, fairness and citizenship, you know, that somebody should have this unalienable right. We're not talking about, you know, trivial numbers. We're talking about, you know, huge numbers that a significant population. That's right. Yeah. And in the 70 million that I referred to in this country, those are returning citizens. Those are just not people with, these are just people who got out of prison, state or federal. We're not even talking about those who never made it. And I'm reading in an article, you know, from Mackinac Center for Public Policy, they're coping, like, People are dealing with the coping numbers of, um, you know, just growing, the growing number of felons in Michigan and it's saying that the courts deliver nearly 50,000 felony convictions per year. Definitely. So, geez, it's a lot of people. Gotcha. Well, while we're still on this uh, topic, so we found a a resource through the, um, in, in just researching for the podcast, through the National Conference of State Legislatures where basically uh, looking up, you know, how unique Michigan is in terms of uh, folks who, who receive voting rights again after. Um, and it said that Michigan's one of 16 states plus the District of Columbia, where you lose rights while incarcerated and then have those rights restored once released. Um, and then notably in Maine and Vermont, uh, folks actually don't even lose their voting rights while they're incarcerated. Um, so I'm curious to know, uh, maybe this is a question for, for Rod or either of you, but uh, are there efforts in Michigan to push for even more progressive change where, where, where people would still be able to vote even while they're incarcerated? Um, I haven't heard talks about that legislation, um, but you know, I, could, I could really see an advocacy effort being put forward. Um, given the fact that so uh, much uh, organizing and policy work has been taken up by folks who come back uh, and once outside began to organize in earnest. You know, I'm really pleased to be able to call uh, Nation Outside a coalition partner and, and John L. Allen Bay, you know, a colleague. Um, there have been, you know, some really great advocates who've gotten um, involved in uh, criminal legal system reform and really established strong reputations in Lansing. Um, as effective advocates in the legislature. And I 
um, say that to uh, hit that nation outside may want to take up a, a policy campaign aimed at doing just what Jacob suggests? Absolutely. Yeah, and and that's good that you talked about that, Jacob, because of the fact that even incarcerated, you're counted as census. And therefore, there's money that's given to different counties because of the fact that you're housed somewhere. So it would be a no-brainer to say if we could receive money from you for being incarcerated and count you as a census, you should be able to vote. I mean, call me crazy, but it sure seems to me that when somebody's incarcerated that they should maintain their citizenship rights, including voting and getting paid minimum wage and all these things. But that's... A conversation for another time. Yeah, the, the prison gerrymandering issue that Janelle referenced is really um, gaining a lot of attention. Yeah. Um, and really could help lay the foundation for a campaign to yeah. uh, potentially and, provide those voting rights to folks incarcerated. Definitely. And if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying that when, when you're incarcerated, per the census data, you're being counted as if you're in the county wherever the jail is. You're in, yeah, you're, you're being counted in the county where you have no rights because you're incarcerated. But that county reaps the rewards of being yeah. able to count you among their population. And those counties tend to be outside of urban cores, uh, which pulls resources out of... Which is why those rural community. towns fight so hard to get those prisons and to keep them. Yep. Um, Big business. <laughs> that's right. Definitely. That's right, Eric. So, yeah, and I mean, so we're trying to get, we're trying to get people to vote. We're trying to get returning citizens to vote. But um, in talking to friends of mine and people who I know who have been incarcerated, it seems like, you know, upon release, voting isn't top of mind. You know, people are trying to get out and hopefully get their life on track, hopefully gain, you know, get gainful employment and things like that. So how can we, or in your opinion, get people who are coming out to think of voting as a priority when they have so many other things on their plate. Well, I'm glad you said that because of the fact that one of the things Nation Outside tries to do is create resources for returning citizens. We deal with from mental illness. We got a program called PICS where we counsel people because of the fact when you come if you just spend a day away from home in prison, that's an abnormal environment. Therefore, you have to be to come back into society and you need help to just, I needed help. After 29 years, I was still looking for a phone booth. They don't have them out here. And so I, I had to learn a phone, I had to learn that system and, it, and just that could be overwhelming, you know? And so you need that therapy, you need that help. And so we believe if we, take care of the things that the returning citizens need, then it's easy to educate and restore them and say, this is how you're empowered by voting and this is what it will do. So it's about educating. It's, it's about opening up resources. We, we train for jobs. We train for just how to live in society, how to be a neighbor. All of these things are effective tools in order for us to be able to do what we need uh, our returning citizens to do in our voting. So we have to do everything in order to get them where they need to be. Yeah. yeah. And I'll also add that one of the several things that uh, the Proposal 3 campaign um, did was to make it easier to get registered to vote. So when people are going to the Secretary of State's office to register for 
um, a state ID or to get a driver's license and they're also registered to vote now. And I think that is huge um, because it doesn't leave it up to people to get motivated to go. Right. Um, it's, yeah. it's now part of the, the process. And pardon my ignorance there, uh, Rod, but first of all, could you uh, explain for folks that aren't familiar what Proposal 3, what, what you're referring to with Proposal yeah, so 3? The, and promote, then also the Vote campaign is an advocacy effort that I mentioned that um, the ACLU and other advocacy organizations were involved in that led to the passage um, of a ballot proposal in 2018 to make it easier to vote, to provide that automatic registration and um, no reason absentee voting and uh, things like that. And I know that now there was the recent change where in Michigan, uh, upon release, I believe you you are issued an ID now. Um, okay. Are folks okay. automatically registered? Is that what you're referring to? Or, or is that Correct. a separate effort? Correct. So yeah. when people are um, going to the Secretary of State to get an ID or um, to get a driver's license, that voter registration process takes place for those individuals who are 18 and older. Gotcha. And, and Wayne County has done, uh, Mr. Evans has done a great job with the committee he formed. And now uh, there's a, a policy that's in place and we needed it with COVID-19 because the fact Secretary of State had closed. Well, that if you're incarcerated, you will be able to not only be registered to vote, but have a state ID before you even get home. So that's major, you know, because the fact that, that that's one of the obstacles that we have as returning citizens is just trying to. And when the COVID-19 hit, every day I was receiving calls and people just like, we can't get in there. What do we do? And it was just like, just stand still, didn't know what to do, couldn't work because you can't work without an ID. And so it was problematic. And so I, I, I think the effort of people, well, ACLU, as well as uh, clerks and uh, Mr. Evans for, you know, even visiting that issue there. So currently right now, I mean, I know we're working on these things and making sure people who, when they're fresh out and they, you know, they can get a car, an ID card and automatically be registered to vote. But in the meantime, like right now, today, if I got out today, could you explain the process I would take if I, you know, since I need to vote and I know it's important, how, what do I do? Like, what's the first thing I should do? Yeah, that's a great question. And it first starts with um, access, you know, in a lot of urban areas, transportation is an issue or internet access may be an issue. I mean, there are, are different avenues um, through which voting information and access to materials and so forth is, is being provided. Um, you know, you can go to your local clerk's office and register to vote. You can complete an absentee ballot and submit that ballot at your city clerk's office. Um, you can go online through the Secretary of State um, or a great website that is um, a warehouse for all sorts of um, key election-related information, and that is simply michiganvoting.org. That's where we send people um, who are looking to get registration information or absentee ballot information or quite frankly, just about anything else. Um, it's a, a really great resource um, for folks who are interested in figuring out how they walk through the process. It's not as cumbersome as people think and getting access to that information um, is you know, pretty easy now, particularly given the fact that the Secretary of State has made that a priority 
um, through mailing everyone absentee ballot um, applications and trying to reach now folks who aren't registered to vote whose addresses that she has. So, And also you can reach Nation Outside. Uh, we register to vote daily, uh, absentee forms. Um, our number is 810-969-0449. Uh, we're at the parole office on a regular basis. So when they come home off the bus, we're engaged and we make sure that we walk them through this process in Genesee County. We make sure that we open up avenues and we make sure that they get to the precincts. Um, the last election, we took over 300 people to the precincts and polls. We have people who are uh, poll watchers. That, and, and that's important that we get our people engaged in that civic activity. Because once you feel that you're engaged and that you have something to count in, uh, we do better. We do better as returning to ourselves. Yeah, and John L., while you're here, you may want to also reference the work the Nation Outside chapters are doing elsewhere. Yeah, we're we're all over the state. We're in. Uh, we're we're working on a bunch of different projects. I'm working with a fair housing plan right now, where we want to change the way that uh, our state does business. When you come home, uh, most people who uh, don't have anywhere to live are in placement homes instead of uh, being able to uh, live anywhere they want to be. You're restricted. So uh, that's a major thing that we're against. Uh, the clean slate, of course, that we've worked on and uh, countless hours for. And clean, it's, clean it's, slate is the expungement. Uh, it is program, expungement. Right? Uh, yes. And um, we're working where if we could just change one city to change the, their view uh, Michigan would change, the, the economy would change. You know, um, we're working on CNN, uh, CNN uh, um, and uh, people who are in the medical field. Uh, we passed already where you could be a barber and a cosmetologist with a felony. So we're working, you know, we're working every day trying to make a, a difference because we have too much at stake not to. Yep. And then uh, just on a more personal level, uh, I guess if, if Janelle and, and Eric, if you could weigh in here as well, like when you guys emerged from prison, how were you thinking about voting and, and what did that process look like for you? Uh, you want to go first, Mr. Allen Bay? No, you were out before you, me. you paid the way. But you, hey, hospitality, you're a guest. So. <laughs> um, the, the first thing I did was, you know, I, I, I'm big in politics anyway. So my, the first thing I wanted to do was make sure that I, I was restored back and that I uh, filled out my application so I could vote because I remember turning 18 and I was so enthusiastic about doing it then. And, and I wanted to be able to have that under my belt that I could do that. So that was very important to me day one. Um, it took me an hour to get my license and um, an hour and five minutes to register to vote. So that was the first thing I did before I ate. So. For me, uh, I understand the history uh, of the reason we should vote and what we went through to get to this point of voting. So I knew it was one of my priorities uh, for when I came home to vote because it's my voice, it's my opinion. And if I feel I, if I do not vote, I don't have a voice to stand on. I'm, I can't be objective or opinionated to uh, what I feel that um, is justice and what needs to be done in our community. Locally first, that's where it starts. For me, it starts locally. Yeah. Question for you, Rod. Like, you know, um, 
for those individual voters who may not have been to prison before, how would you suggest that we're best able to support criminal justice reform, you know, at local levels, state levels, national levels? What would you say? Yeah, so we've been really involved in um, trying to educate voters about uh, the power that prosecutors uh, across Michigan have um, because they are significant drivers of mass incarceration. Um, a lot of people don't understand what prosecutors do, that you know, they're elected, that they're the most powerful people in their counties, and that at the end of the day, they're elected officials who represent the residents just like other representatives uh, of government do, so they should be held accountable to constituents. So we have uh, been involved in a campaign to educate people about you know, the power of prosecutors, and we actually have um, put together a database on our website at aclumich.org um, that catalogs responses that prosecutors have um, provided to questions about some of the things that um, people get charged for and sentenced for that, that feed this uh, mass incarceration machine that uh, we see here in Michigan. So we want people to be um, more knowledgeable about what their prosecutors do so they know who's good and who isn't. And when it comes time to vote, to make sure that they are voting for those people who represent their interests and they're advocating against those people who don't. Um, and that they're also encouraging people to run or running themselves um, in counties where prosecutors are putting um, high and or disproportionate uh, populations of folks in jail. And we saw, uh, someone shared recently, the, the vote quadrant uh, kind of concept um, that I thought was, was pretty, uh, pretty well, well conveyed, uh, where it's talking about judges, mayors, district attorneys, and police commissioners. Mm -hmm. so, so those positions are all positions that we vote for that directly impact in, in a broad sense. Uh, more or less, not every, not every municipality has a police commission. Gotcha. Um, but the other three actors are certainly um, pretty prominent when it comes to the criminal legal system. Um, and I, I'll point out the fact that we use that term criminal legal system because in many cases there's very little justice in it. Mm. Um, and that is something we can also trace back to the power of our prosecutors. Mm. Um, prosecutors can effectively take that justice that we think about um, when we think about what happens in a courtroom out of the equation, right? We think if you are going to be put on trial, you are ultimately judged by a jury of your peers, but the prosecutors have the power to take that jury out of the equation, right? Through um, charging folks um, severely or stacking charges against folks to the point where they're compelled to take a plea deal. Um, and avoid a jury trial altogether, which takes the jury out of the equation and the judge out of the equation for the most part, right? The judge signs off on it, obviously, at the end of the day, but the prosecutor is the one who decides how that justice is meted out. And in many cases, when people decide that no matter how um, severe the charges may be or how many charges are stacked against them, they still want to go to trial. Most people are prosecuted vigorously and they're sentenced very harshly. Um, if they are in fact convicted. 
So it's important people understand that. The judge, judge situation is really interesting because a lot of people don't understand judges' records and it really takes um, some diligence and some research to figure out, you know, um, how judges are ruling and, and what goes on in, in a courtroom. And I always add, I always uh, advise people to do some court watching um, if you can to go into a courtroom and see how judges um, handle um, the goings on in their courts. And it really is very telling of you know what judges are responsible and what judges are really working for justice and those judges who may be problematic. Yeah, the voters quadrant. You know, it talks about different questions to ask to the judge, and even though these might like some questions are even like, where'd you go to high school? Or how do you define family? And so, you know, I liked that the information that I saw in the voters quadrant kind of gives us an idea of the questions we need to be asking when considering a candidate or, you know, when, when you know, when elected officials are, up, you know, up for, up for election. Right. Yeah. So Rod, uh, just taking a step back, you've kind of alluded to some different things, but uh, I guess if you could speak very specifically about ACLU's current priorities in terms of, you know, folks looking to, to be uh, really stepping up their game with, with uh, criminal legal system reform, w what are the current priorities of, of the ACLU? Um, and if possible, you know, at a local level, at a state level, at a, at a national level, or, or to whatever degree that makes sense? Sure. So the um, Campaign for Smart Justice, which is the work that we're doing to reduce mass incarceration and end racism in the criminal legal system, is a nationwide initiative of the ACLU. ACLU is a national organization that has what we call affiliates, so operations uh, in each state. Some larger states like you know Florida and California have multiple affiliates. In Michigan, we have one um, that's based in Detroit with offices in Lansing and uh, in Grand Rapids. Our Lansing office is our, our legislative office. Um, and that is where uh, our legislative team um, is based. Um, I'm part of that legislative team. Um, I used to work very closely with the legislature. I'm more out in the community now, uh, but still keep those ties. But we are um, blessed in the fact that we have a team of dedicated lobbyists who are working in the legislature on a full-time basis. Uh, the Campaign for Justice here in Michigan has uh, three primary um, priorities. Um, they are reforming our pretrial system with a heavy emphasis on ending cash bail, um, but really reforming our approach to how we handle pretrial incarceration. Um, Increasing prosecutorial accountability, which is the work to educate and inform people about the power of prosecutors so that they're then holding their prosecutors accountable for the ways in which they approach their job, including their um, charging decisions and sentencing recommendations. And then the third one is um, sentencing reform, which is a really uh, broad umbrella that encompasses a lot of um, different types of laws that one, um, feed more people into the system, two, that keeps them there for a long time, in many cases longer than they really need to be there, and then three, that um, present obstacles to people reclaiming their self-sufficiency once they do return home. 
So currently um, at the local level, our priority is prosecutorial accountability. Um, all our prosecutors are up for reelection in November. Um, you know, several of them had some very um, contested primary elections that we really tried to get people um, involved in. Um, there was a really significant win um, by a primary candidate in Oakland County, which is uh, one of the worst counties when it comes to the number of uh, people of color who are locked up um, disproportionately. I know. Um, so a really powerful incumbent prosecutor lost a primary election, which was great to see, um, given you know the numbers of the disproportionate numbers of people of color who are incarcerated in that county. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, one of our priorities is ending racism in the system. So that, that's something that we were heavily involved in. And we were continuing to try to get people educated and mobilized uh, to vote for candidates who support what we call a smart justice platform in the November election. Our website at aclumich.org includes um, some really good information on candidates and counties across the state. Um, we're also working at the state level right now um, on a number of key sentencing reforms with the priority being a legislative package that um, seeks to address recommendations of the Michigan Joint Task Force on Jail and Pretrial Incarceration. This is a statewide uh, task force that was put together um, last year that encompasses a really diverse group of professionals that include um, everything from formerly incarcerated folks to legislators to law enforcement to judges to prosecutors to criminal defense attorneys. Um, they spent almost a year traveling the state collecting information, um, including testimony from people who've been impacted by the system and people who work in the system. And they came up with a set of 22 uh, recommendations, which um, are being turned into legislation that has been recently introduced and um, is a priority of the legislature to get passed. Um, so there was a significant hearing on some of that legislation just yesterday. Um, we'll continue to see hearings on uh, House bills, we think over the next couple of weeks, and then there's a significant package of sentencing related um, legislation that's going to be introduced in the Senate uh, in two weeks, actually two weeks from today. So um, that's really significant at the state level, but obviously because it impacts pretrial um, reform is also going to be felt at the local level. That's fantastic. I mean, that's a lot of, a lot of different initiatives uh, going on. So thank you guys so much for all the amazing work that you do. It's incredible. Every time I yeah. learn more about the ACLU, it's just, there's, I can't believe how many, uh, yeah, well, I appreciate Ryan's question because, um, you know, this is only possible because people at the grassroots level began to demand change. I mean, we've made incredible progress. You know, I've been doing this work for 10 years and you have people who are supporting legislation now who weren't, you know, willing to have a substantive conversation with you, you know, 10 years ago. And you have now bipartisan support for criminal legal system reform because people have um, began to listen to those of us who were saying Michigan is one of the worst states in the country 
when it comes to mass incarceration because of the number of people we lock up and the length at which we keep them incarcerated, right? People um, in Michigan serve so much um, of their maximum sentence that um, it really costs the system uh, considerably. And it's significant to point that out because some people want to do um, this kind of work for moral reasons. And some people look at the work that we're doing and, and say, well, we're throwing away way too much money and we're not making our communities any safer. So we need to take a different approach. Yeah, I think people often overlook that, that there's really a strong case to be made uh, for, for this type of reform for people across, across the political spectrum. That's right. Um, as you just mentioned, I mean, it's, it's just horrible fiscal policy. That's right. We, we spend so much money on it without effectively deterring crime or, or making communities safer. So it's just, uh, it's a system where, where nobody wins unless uh, you're trying to disenfranchise people, I suppose. Um, but <laughs> it's a crazy world we live in. I, yeah. But fortunately, there's uh, folks like yourself and, and the rest of the team at ACLU and Nation Outside um, that, are, that are fighting for that type of, of work. I have a question for Rod. Rod, Chef ended with uh, return citizen get out. And unfortunately, he, he or she ends up going back, but once released, are they restored their voting rights or are they restored their voting rights again automatically? Yes, once they're released. All right, no matter how many uh, felonies they have, two, That's three, correct. or four? That's correct. Okay. Another question I have, uh, do you think returned citizens some viable candidate as a returned citizen should run for like city council, some like small office, just to bring awareness to the situation. Do you think that'd be one way that we can make an impact? I strongly encourage you um, to get as active as you possibly can. And I'm so glad you asked that question, Eric. One of the members of that pretrial task force that I mentioned um, served um, some time and uh, has represented the legislature and her constituency, I happen to be in her district, um, quite well uh, because of that experience she had. You know, she um, went on to become a county prosecutor and is now a, a state legislator who is a fierce advocate for criminal legal system reform. And what better person than someone who's actually um, you know, been convicted and who's actually worked as a prosecutor who knows right. the ins and outs um, uh, of the system from a, a number of different perspectives. We've also seen just how active uh, Councilwoman Janae Ayers has been, uh, who I believe had a, a family, grew up with a family member incarcerated, right. if I'm not mistaken, um, mm -hmm. which just so directly impacts the amount of focus that her office puts on these types of issues and um, it's clearly very, very personal for her, which is uh, right. so helpful yeah. to, the, to the reform effort. Yeah, you I mean, I came to the ACLU as a result um, of the mass incarceration issue. You know, my dad was wrongfully accused of a crime, you know, as a teenager and prosecuted and incarcerated for that crime. Spent two years inside uh, before my grandparents were able to get him out. And, um, you know, I've seen the toll that has taken on him. It's, it's trauma that he's carried with him his entire life. Um, and it was not until a few years ago that we were able to right that wrong, you know, some 50 years later. So um, it's personal for me as it is for a lot of other folks. And I think 
you know, having that passion certainly helps, but that experience that you get um, is really beneficial in the work because you're able to touch people sometimes in ways that uh, folks who don't have that experience um, are able to. Great. So we'll start working on uh, Eric's campaign uh, for local <laughs> office. That's what I was hoping to hear next. I was just speaking. I was speaking on my behalf. I'll just... <laughs> which office and which election? <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> um, well, that's fantastic. I can run for the, lo I can run for the local paper boy. <laughs> um, well that's great so so rod thank you so much i mean this has been uh, incredibly uh educational for me um i think i can speak for uh ryan and eric here as well um so mm -hmm. really just look into um kind of uh, in summary i uh, just you've, you've we've mentioned a number of different resources throughout the uh the episode here where can uh listeners find out more information. I think you mentioned michiganvoting.org, aclumich.org. Uh, where else can folks find resources? Um, well, aclumich.org is our website. We have uh, links to a lot of resources I think your listeners would be interested in that pertain both to our voting rights work and our work to end mass incarceration. Um, and you'll also see some of the work that we do um, in spaces where those two issues intersect. Uh, the ACLU has been um, active in trying to address the ways in which folks who get involved in the system end up being, you know, denied their rights. You know, we were very active in the campaign of Florida, which you might have heard of uh, in the last election cycle. You know, Florida is one of those states that uh, Eric was referring to earlier that um, prevented people who have felonies from voting. And as a result, over a million people in Florida were not able to vote um, until 2018 uh, when a ballot initiative was pushed through um, restoring those rights to vote. And the legislature was so supportive of that progress that they passed a bill that uh, took away those rights from some 700,000 folks by insisting that anybody who still owed fines or restitution couldn't get their rights fully restored until uh, those uh, obligations were taken care of. But that bill was challenged in court and those folks' rights are restored now. All right. Got it. And then just for, you know, for, for listeners uh, who are looking to get involved and want to help be it returning citizens or just folks that are, are generally interested in helping, what advice do you, do you give to folks that are looking to just be effective uh, supporters of, of uh, reform efforts? Yeah, reach out. We're always looking to engage folks in the process. Um, you know, you can reach out through aclumich.org. You can email me personally. Uh, my email address uh, is R-M-O-N-T-S. That's rmonts at aclumich.org. We have opportunities to get involved through our uh, digital organizing platform we call People Power, which is uh, peoplepower.org. We have a lot of folks who work um, on our voting rights campaign who came to us through People Power and who still um, actively uh, engage in advocacy efforts. And a lot of the work that they do is posted on peoplepower.org so you can go there and find opportunities to connect with them. 
And then, you know, also look at the work that some of our colleagues are doing um, through uh, the work of Nation Outside and Just Leadership USA and Safe and Just Michigan, which are three organizations that really engage um, formerly incarcerated folks um, in leadership positions um, regarding criminal legal system advocacy. Um, you know, we work with them closely, including in Lansing uh, with legislators on policy matters, as well as um, through grassroots activists. That's great. I want to give a shout out to uh, Mickey Bennett, who I believe uh, is, is part of the People Power uh, campaign, if I'm not mistaken, um, he is. Who, helped, who helped bring this uh, program together. So uh, the, the kind of initial idea for this program actually came through that campaign as well. So yeah. thank you, Mickey. That's great to hear. Yeah, Mickey is... Mickey's a blessing. He's just been a really great um, advocate and uh, just a selfless volunteer for us. Fantastic. Uh, so before we wrap up, uh, Rod, Eric, Ryan, any last thoughts uh, before we say uh, My last thought would be thank you, Rod, you know, for continuing to be a policy warrior for the underdogs. You know, we need people like you. <laughs> yeah, well, well, thank you. And I appreciate you saying that so humbly. Uh, but the reality is that this work would not be possible without folks like you all who have interest in this issue. Um, you know, as I said before, we have made considerable progress in just the last few years. Um, we have not um, been able to change hearts and minds uh, without the contributions of folks like you who shine light on the issues that uh, impact way too many folks um, in this state, uh, particularly people of color and um, people uh, of lower socioeconomic status um, who get disproportionately pushed into the system. And when that happens, um, you know, stay trapped inside that system and away from opportunity for far too long. So thank you for the work that you do. And my grandfather has a whole saying, he said, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. I want to tell you that your fight for us for return citizens is immersible. Amen. I appreciate that. Glad to do it and won't stop. <laughs> Ain't no stopping us now. My friend, your wife. Ain't stop, won't stop. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Rod. I mean, I think, uh, needless to say, we're really happy to be um, to, to be acquainted um, and to, to be able to, to talk uh, like this. And we, we really... Um, you know, I think our, our paths will definitely be crossing again. We might have to have you on for a, another episode. There's just too many things to, to talk about. Yeah, I'm happy anytime. And anytime I can, um, you know, connect you all to other folks who would be good for your podcast, I'm happy to help too. Just, you know. We'll be, we'll be yeah, channeling people you. your way. Don't you worry. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Great. Well, it's been well, my pleasure. Everybody vote Thanks Eric 2020. And, uh... <laughs> Vote 2020, 2024, <laughs> 2028. Right. And vote no, smart justice, as we say. In all everybody make sure that you vote, that you're telling your friends to vote, and that you're helping uh, any returning citizens in your life uh, understand not only that they are eligible to vote in Michigan, but also uh, understanding how to do so. so yep, and I encourage people to, to get signed up um, to vote absentee so you're able to vote early. Um, to take those ballots to your clerk's office if you are able to do so, and that you're really encouraging everybody else um, in your network, you know, to vote 
get their votes cast early and to get those votes into the clerk's office. So we're not relying on the postal service because we expect there to be some delays, particularly as we get closer um, to the election date. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Rod. We will uh, be in touch soon. And uh, everybody listening out there, take care. All right. Take care. Thanks again for having me. Take care. Thanks. So Janelle Allen Bay had to leave the call early, but before he did, we asked him how to best get in touch with Nation Outside and also to close us out with any final thoughts that he might have. 810-969-0449. You can find us also on uh, Facebook, Nation Outside. Uh, we have a state uh, chapter. We're in um, Detroit, Flint, Lansing, Jackson, Michigan. Uh, we're about to open in Saginaw and Grand Rapids and Traverse City. So we're moving. Um, we believe, like I stated earlier, we're the voice of the voiceless. So we're trying to put down that work and make sure that, you know, if you're a returning citizen or if you even have a felony, that you know what you got going, that you're able to be restored, that your voice counts that you should be voting. You should be voting in these local elections as well as state because it affects these policies and procedure affect our lives, our daily lives. I appreciate you allowing me to be on here today. And uh, like I said earlier, I, I gotta get out of here. I appreciate you. Thanks yeah. a lot. Thank you so much for being here. And we'll, I'm Thank sure you. we'll be crossing paths again soon. Definitely. Uh, thanks day. a lot, Alan Bay. Appreciate it.